1988, a uh, young pastor named Matt Hurd was uh, working at Moody Church up on the north side. How many of you guys know Moody Church? You heard of Moody Church before? Moody Church is a pretty historic church in the city of Chicago, named after D.L. Moody, uh, the man who has a Bible college in this same city named after him, a great evangelist of the early 1900s. Well, this pastor, Matt Hurd, was working at Moody Church, and he noticed that there were a few dozen folks who were younger, and, and if you know Moody, Moody's a very conservative church. I mean, when it comes to just the way they do things, they kind of have a, a stronger sense of old liturgy, just kind of, kind of more old-fashioned in the way they do things. And Matt Hurd said, hey, Erwin Lutzer, who was the senior pastor at Moody at the time, hey, Erwin, what do you think if we launched like a modern worship service and brought in, you know, an electric guitar and, and kind of did things a bit more for young folks in the city? And Erwin Lutzer looked to Matt Hurd, and if you know Erwin Lutzer, that classic deep voice of his, he used to be on radio all the time. No, I don't think so, Matt. <laughs> they weren't gonna do a modern worship service at Moody Church. So a year passed, and that few dozen crew grew into nearly 100 folks. And Matt Hurd went back to Erwin Lutzer and said, Erwin, rather than um, launching a modern worship service in Moody Church, what do you think about planting us as our own church? launching us right into Lincoln Park and send this whole crew, you give us some finances, send us, and we'll do our own work. And Moody said, or Erwin Lutzer said, now you're talking. <laughs> and they launched Park Community Church, 1988. How wonderful is that? The history of this church was that about 100 folks got launched out of Moody Church, Moody church up on the north side of Chicago. And I'll, I'll never forget the story I heard when Erwin Lutzer first prayed over that inaugural service. By the way, I gave Erwin some interesting uh, accent when I did that. I don't know why I did that. He doesn't have that accent. He has a deep voice. Anyways, sorry, Erwin, if ever you see this. He's a good man. I've met him a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> uh, when he prayed over that inaugural service at Park Community Church South Loop, he prayed... Lord, would you allow Park to grow bigger in ministry than Moody? What a bold, humble prayer that was. Ever since that day, Park has been praying that same prayer over every church we have helped plant and every church we have helped launch. What started as a group of about 50 folks in Lincoln Park has grown over the last 30, nearly 35 years. 12 locations, Park Community Church in the city of Chicago. We're looking to launch our third Albany Park in about three weeks. And if you know, if you've been around for a while, we just launched our 12th down in Hyde Park only about a few months ago. Over the years, we have sent off dozens of missionaries to the field. And if you know Park Community Church, when we send missionaries out, we tend to send them to some of the most difficult, dangerous, hard places on the planet. That's where our missionaries are serving right now across the globe, as well as supporting many, many missionaries who are working stateside with people, with uh, folks who need to hear the gospel here in the city of Chicago. And across all of the story of Park Community Church, there's one hero. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. He is the one who sustains every bit of work we've ever been involved in, and he is the one who has his hand and his thumbprint on this church from here on out until the day he returns or until he ends this. Now, if you find yourself in this room today, uh, you are participating in a new sermon series that we're doing called No Place Left. And the concept of this sermon series is we want to take four weeks, and we want to ask the question, what is Park Community Church all about? And the bigger question we're asking is, what is the church all about? Park Community Church does not have a fundamentally unique vision. 
We're not something special in the eyes of the big C church around the globe. We're one of many churches, and so to ask what is this church about, we first have to ask what is God doing in the world? And what does it mean for us to be a church on mission here in the city of Chicago? Because if you're like me, I think that's a question that has a lot of different answers to it. You can go to a lot of different churches and find a lot of different ways to do church in the city. You can find a lot of different mentalities. Frankly, you can even find a lot of different uh, voices of what's being preached from pulpits. And so when we ask the question, what is the church and what is Park's mission and vision and what are we trying to do here in the city? It's very important we get that because if you're a part of this church, if, if you're a part of this, this church here in this city, whatever vision we're getting after must be your vision as well. If you don't own it, it's not really a vision. If you don't bleed the vision, it's not really a vision of the church. It's a stated thing on a piece of paper that's a wonderful thing that we can tell people about, but it's not really a vision. The vision has to be owned. My deep prayer for this sermon series is that we would catch what God is doing. I believe that God is doing something fundamentally new in the world right now. A lot of it has to do with the new reality of COVID-19 that we're all living in and what it means to be a church in the COVID era. Things have changed in a lot of ways. It's a new landscape and, and figuring out how do we come together, unify around a vision and say, this is what God's doing and I wanna be a part of it because I wanna be where God is. I wanna be in the midst of where the Holy Spirit's moving and I don't wanna miss a beat of what God's up to. That's my prayer for this sermon series, that he would align us. So let me give you a little bit of the lay of the land, what you can expect for the next four weeks. Today, we're gonna be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter five and laying some groundwork in that critical passage where, where Paul tells us that we have received a ministry of reconciliation and he calls us ambassadors for Christ. I think at the heart of the vision of the church, we gotta understand what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. Next week is a very important week and we're gonna be talking about how the church steps into brokenness in our city. And I wanna give you a warning. If you're new with us, uh, one of the topics that we talk about very regularly at this church is the topic of abortion. That's one of the ways we step into brokenness in the city is by having a very loud voice in that lane. It's not the only place we have a voice, but next week we will be discussing that as part of what it means to be a church that, that works uh, uh, in the difficult places in the city of Chicago. So we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus says, as you've done to the least of these, so you've done to me. The third week of this sermon series will come around John uh, chapter 20, and we'll be looking at what it means to partner well in the city of Chicago, how the work of being Christians in the city is far bigger than one church. We need ministries, and we need other churches, and we need Christians laboring in every corner of the city if we're gonna get after the work God's called us to. And then, and if you have your calendars, I wanna invite you to actually mark this down. I think this is the first time I'm telling you about this, and it's coming up faster than we realize. On January 30th, it's the last Sunday of January, we are gonna have one combined church-wide service, not here in this building, up at the Near North location, which is a very big facility with a huge auditorium. All 13 of our locations are gonna come together to celebrate as one church in the city what God is doing as we have one worship service. So let me make sure I say that clearly. January 30th, if you show up here at 9 a.m., there will not be a service, okay? We'll have someone here to direct you to the right place. There will be a 10 a.m. service where all of Park's churches are coming together with one voice. We only do this once or twice a year, and we're gonna celebrate what God's doing in the city, and there is a lot to celebrate. It'll be a really wonderful service. So I really invite you to be there. Come celebrate. Carpool up there if you need to. It'll be a wonderful time, okay? 
That's the lay of the land for the next four weeks. Now, let's open your Bibles up, 2 Corinthians chapter five. Let me read the entire passage we have today and then we'll work through it. 2 Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here we go. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's work through that passage, try to understand what Paul is saying. Paul begins in this section by coming back to a theme that he has developed all the way through the book of 2 Corinthians. When he says right in the beginning, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, this is a theme he's been working all through 2 Corinthians. In fact, the book of 2 Corinthians kind of is his defense of his ministry. There were a handful of folks who were pointing their finger at Paul and saying, look how weak he is. He writes these big, grand letters, but when he shows up in person, he's just a wimp. And then they'd say, look at us. We're strong. We're great preachers. We, we, we have these powerful ministries. We're who you should be following. Come follow me. And all through the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's saying, look, look, don't look at the outside. That, that's the wrong way to judge where God is moving. Look at, are they teaching the word of God? Are they speaking the very words of God? Or are they speaking their own words? Paul says, we don't judge anyone according to the flesh. We've got a different set of eyes, Christian. We're not looking the way as the rest of the world judges how good something is, how strong something is, how powerful something is. We wanna know, is God in it? That's how we judge anything. Are they speaking the word of God? Are they filled by the Holy Spirit? When we see them, do we see the fruit of the Spirit in their life? We don't judge according to the flesh. We don't judge according to the world. We honor Christ. We're obedient to his word. He says we are a new creation. I love that language. We're a new creation. That's language we don't talk about enough here in this church. I actually think it's very similar to the words Jesus said in John chapter three. That famous passage in John chapter three when the older man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus in the middle of the night, said, what must I do to be saved? Remember how Jesus responded? He said, you must be born again. Have you heard the language of born again Christians? It comes from Jesus's word. It's in John chapter three. And I think Paul is kind of building on it here. The, the theology of the Bible is not that you have your life mostly in order, but all you need is, is just a little bit of religion, just a little bit of get your spirituality in order, and then things will go well with you, and then God will be pleased with you. I think that's the primary message that the world hears today, is if you can just add a little bit of meditation into your life, if you can just add a little bit of spirituality into your life. But that's not the words of Scripture. In fact, the words of Scripture are fundamentally different from the philosophy of the world. The words of Scripture are that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And what that means is that he's not only an angry God, he's a loving God, but he is also a just God. And there is wrath for sin. And as sinners in the hands of that God, we have a debt to pay before a holy God. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay our penalty on the cross. 
And when we look to Jesus, we're not just declaring that we believe in a martyr who died for a good teaching system. We're not just saying he, he laid down an ethic for us that we ought to follow, and this is what good Christians do. We live out this ethic, and that's all we are. No, we're a new creation. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you die. You, 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 you actually go through this transformation of death where the old you is put to death and a new creation is formed. Now, now that has some really practical things for us. This is why Christians make bold claims about the ability to overcome bad habits and addictions and, and, and scars and brokennesses in our life. Because the church is unlike any other organization. We're not just a new program to get over the hurdles in your life. When you believe in Jesus, you're a new creation. Fundamentally new. Jesus often used the language of new wineskins. He was bringing new wineskins Oftentimes when I pray into people's lives over the hardships in their life, what I'm praying is new wineskins in their life, God. Would you, would you bring newness and fundamentally change that which was old? If you remember the story when Jesus, his first miracle he performed, he turned water into wine. Water doesn't just turn into wine. There's a, there, it's impossible. Scientists will tell you, you can't just turn water into wine. You have to add entire new components into that water. You can leave water for a thousand years and it won't turn into wine. He didn't just speed up a chemical reaction. He did something new. And that's what he does when you believe in Jesus. He changes you. So if you've come in here and it's the start of a new year and you're looking out over your life and you're saying, man, there's these areas I want to get in order. Know this. Jesus is not interested in just getting your life in order. He wants to fundamentally change your DNA from the inside out and make you someone new so that the issues of your life get fixed, not because you got your life in order, but because Jesus changed you from the inside out. Jesus' very first sermon was, began with the, the single word, repent. <laughs> you know, you look at churches today around the globe and in our city of Chicago, we spend so much time trying to make the message of the gospel as soft and gentle as we can. Meanwhile, Jesus' first word was repent. We need, to, we need to gauge what we're doing by the word of God. Are we being faithful to his word? We just play in church trying to make it easy for people. Believing in the gospel is this great doctrine of double imputation. So if you want to write notes down and you're looking for a good theological study term, this is a good one for you. Double imputation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Let's read it again. It reads this way. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. For, wait. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Double imputation says that when Jesus went to the cross, there were two imputations that took place. On the one hand, our sin was put on him. All of our sin on Jesus. That's the first imputation. It was imputed onto him so that he carried it in our place. But on the other hand, all of his righteousness was imputed to us. That's the second imputation. Our sin on Jesus, his righteousness onto us. When you believe in Jesus, God is not looking down on you, and this is so important. He's not looking down on you, constantly disappointed that you're not living up to the standard of Christ. We've all fallen short. And until Jesus returns, we will continue to fall short, though we will see improvement because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. There will be growth. There will be overcoming. There will be victory. But always, always desiring and waiting for that great day when the Lord returns and we rise in our final state, perfectly all the way done with sin. But until that day, Jesus doesn't look down on us from heaven and say, 
Look at them, how disappointed I am. They keep stumbling in the same patterns. No, no, his righteousness has been imputed to you. Your sin's been fully forgiven. That means when he looks on you, he sees a beloved child and he looks down and he says, look at my beloved child whom I know and I love and I'm for and I'm gonna work that sin out of you over the long haul. I'm gonna see you grow for, you, for my glory and for your, for your joy. He's not done with you. But when he sees you, he sees you as a son and a daughter because of what Christ has done. Verse 17, the new has come and the old has passed away. This is your story if you're in Christ. The old has gone. Whatever you were, whatever your story was before, and it's important for us to take inventory of that from time to time because we all have a story. Whatever that story was, whatever, whatever baggage came with that, you need to be able to declare in Jesus Christ, it's done, and there's new that's come. I'm in Christ I'm a new creation. And, and look, the new creation is not only about you. This is what's so important. It's not just that Jesus wants to get the best you. That's true. The best you is when you're in Christ. But then he does something through you. And if you really are a new creation, you find yourself wrapped up from the inside out, from the heart level, into the mission of God, of what he's doing here in this world. He changes you so that your affections change. Your desires change. Those things that keep you up late at night and that you're worried about change because all of a sudden the vision of the church is wrapped up in the vision of your bones and, and you're laying at night, night awake thinking, is this gonna get done? How, how are we gonna get after this? Is the church, do they have their eyes in this place? Do they know about this brokenness over here and this person that's suffering? Why? Because all of a sudden you, you change from who you were, a person whose life revolved around you and all the issues you had to a new creation where your life doesn't revolve around you, but your life is a sacrifice lived of worship to Christ, serving others ahead of yourself. It's incredible. It's a new creation. Verses 18 to 19, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. If you're a Christian, you have been assigned a ministry of reconciliation from Jesus. Let that sit in. Think about it for a second. You know, one of the highest honors we bestow on people in the church, and I mean this not in a way to puff people up, but just to say it's a great honor to be assigned the role of deacon, okay? A deacon is someone who serves in the official capacity outlined in 2 uh, Timothy chapter three, where they set aside people for the work of deaconing and serving in the church. That's laboring in prayer and coming alongside people in their brokenness and just being with them in hardships. And we have a number of faithful deacons here in this church what a high honor that is. And I always love when the emails go out that someone's been nominated to serve in the role of deacon. So often the very first thing I hear back is, I, I, am, I don't feel like I'm worthy to serve in that role. And what I get to say is that's the first qualification. <laughs> if you had responded in any other way, I would have taken the invitation back. But look at this. It's not just deacons who have received a ministry. As a follower of Christ, you have received a ministry of reconciliation. Oh, what does that mean? That, that is, many it clarifies, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of that reconciliation. What is your life about? What have you been assigned from the Lord, the King of Kings who reigns right now and is writing history? Every bit of history has been being written by the King and he is giving you a fundamental role to play in it. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
You've been given the role to go forward and declare and proclaim and help people come to know Jesus and what he's doing. Come to find Jesus. Can I just tell you a story from this morning, young man, <laughs> from one of the collisions that happened, an Uber driver, and I don't think he's in the room right now, and if you are, brother, I'm grateful you're here with us today. Young Uber driver had a crash, and he was nervous as he could be, and I ran out to him to see if he was okay, and I said, hey, you know, sometimes the Lord makes car accidents happen so that we can have a deep spiritual moment. Can I ask you, are you going to church this morning? And he said, you know, I just had someone check in on me the other day. He said, my dad's gone to church ever since I was a kid, and, and I don't, and someone asked me, how is my spiritual life, and I realized I need to start going to church and I said, well, maybe the Lord made this car accident happen on purpose. Now, here's what I'm doing right now. If that's your car, I want you to know something good came from it, okay? <laughs> All right, so you can't be that angry. What's going on in that moment? Christians don't waste a moment. Because Jesus is returning soon and people are suffering and there's a ministry of reconciliation you've been given and we need to know, are you coming? Are you part of church? Do you know Jesus? Where are you with the Lord? And did you notice in that story, Jesus was way ahead of me. <laughs> he already had a buddy of his on the phone with him who had checked in spiritually. He was already experiencing conviction. All he needed was a car accident. See, this is, this is what it means. This is, this is what comes out of you. This is what must come out of you if you're a follower of Christ. It is not enough to sit on the sidelines. Christian, there's no such thing as a sideline Christian. It does not exist. There's no such thing as a bench player who's out on the bench saying, you know, I'm glad the starters are out there and I hope I don't get called on. I hope the quarterback doesn't get injured. It, 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 it doesn't exist. That's, if you're a Christian, you're on the field and you've been given a responsibility. And what is that responsibility? The ministry of reconciliation. Jesus bringing the good news of the message of what he's done to save sinners from an eternity in hell and to establish his kingdom to overcome all brokenness here on this earth, here and now, he's working that through you, Christian. That's your assignment. You've been given that from Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. When you speak of Jesus, God's making his appeal through you. It, it, do, do you ever like pause and just fathom that reality for a second? Does, does it ever just make you kind of fall on your knees and say, could it be that, could, could that be true? That the little conversations I have in my office, God's making his appeal through me? What if we took that seriously? You're an ambassador for Christ. What's an ambassador? An ambassador does not speak for themselves. When an ambassador goes out for a nation, they go speak to kings, they go speak to other people. And an ambassador is judged faithful whether or not they're speaking their king's words. If they're making up their own stuff, or if they're trying to take the king's words and make it a little softer and really water it down and not really say his words, but kind of do it a little differently, that guy gets fired real fast. An ambassador represents the king. And by the way, he has the protection of the king where he goes. That's what ambassadors are. You're an ambassador for Christ. And our job is not to water it down. Our job is not to try to make this thing as, as soft and easy as can be, but to represent Jesus, both in the way you live your life and the words you say to others who are coming into you. Look at how he finishes this. I love Paul's language here. He says, in verse 20, we implore you. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the heart of an ambassador. Literally what he does, he says, here's what we are now. Let me show you how to do it. I'm imploring you, be reconciled to Jesus. Don't leave this room until you met him, until you know him. That's all I want for you is to walk deeply in the power of the risen Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. I'm convinced that the city of Chicago needs a handful of ambassadors for Christ who won't water the message down. Because here's what happens. When you water it down and when you try to make it as easy and attractive as can possibly be, and you try to just be so gentle and just nudge and nudge and nudge. We've been nudging for decades. And we try to make it so easy for folks that ultimately what people are hearing is a caricature of Jesus that sounds nothing like the Jesus who started his first sermon with the word repent. And then they look at this Jesus we're trying to represent and they go, look, sounds like a nice guy. I don't really need him. That's what most people say about the Jesus that we are representing to the world. Sounds like a nice guy. I don't really need him. Jesus was not necessarily a nice guy. That's not how he was remembered, as a nice guy. He wasn't tame. He wasn't soft. This man, this man changed things. And he got into broken places and he, he didn't care what anyone said about him. When all the religious leaders were, were looking down their nose at him because he was spending time with, with, with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners bringing the kingdom of God to the broken places, and all the religious leaders were like, well, that's not how you do church. You know, that's, that, that is wild. Jesus was there looking back at them and saying, how dare you hold the gospel back from these people? How dare you in your high holy places think you can make the Bible something that it's not? See, I'm convinced people need to meet the real Jesus. What they need is a handful of ambassadors for Christ willing to stand firmly on the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord. And to do it in all the love and the mercy and the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ who goes through you. So you should be saying to yourself right now, if you've gotten this, right? If, if we look at this passage and you say, okay, I'm an ambassador for Christ. What you should be saying is, how do I do that? <laughs> that sounds tough. Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked that question. Because look, that's what the church is for. When we speak about a vision for a church and what a local church is about and why you need to be a part of this place and why Jesus has called you to be a part of a church community, it's because the church is designed to equip you and grow you and strengthen you in doing that very work. Some of us have a vision of the church that what it is is we come in and we get our fill each week so that we can go home and be filled and feel like we have some spirituality about us. And if that's our vision for the church, we missed it. And we're abusing God's bride, the bride of Christ. The vision that Jesus has for the church is that this is, this is a place where God's army comes together and gets their marching orders and instructions in order to go back out into the mission field, gets filled with the hope and the love of Christ so that they're strengthened to then step back out into the places Jesus has called you to. I envision a church that's so strong. And some days, church, I just want you to hear my heart. I, some days, I feel like this place is, a, is like a simmering pot of water that, that's just right on the cusp of boiling and all, you know, where it just, it boils so much that it overflows and puts the flames out on your pile of light, on your stove. I see it, the, the bubbles are like, it's all there. 
and it's just waiting. It's just waiting to boil over. And, and sometimes I leave this place and I'm like walking so, so firmly in the spirit because I just know whatever Jesus just did, it was powerful. I was there. I was in that room when it happened. And I want to invite you into that. But there's no bench players here. You gotta be a part of it. You gotta say I'm all in. Because what happens is we feed each other. And it's not my energy and my passion that feeds all of us. And I'm just one of all of the members of this church and we all feed each other. And we all equip each other. And when one of us comes in here wounded, you know, we've been in the battle and, and you know, you got shot in the arm and so you're, you're coming in here wounded, it's hard. Then everyone comes around you and you go to the medic and you get it bandaged up properly and then you, you sing hallelujah worship songs and you get back out. Because until Christ takes us home, the battle is going on and we gotta be in the midst of it. I see this place erupting and I want it. I want it so bad and I want you to want it as much as I want it. I want to see it in your eyes that you are, you're saying, Jesus, I believe you when you said that your kingdom would start the size of a mustard seed and grow to be the greatest of all the trees in the forest so big that the birds of the air would come and take refuge in it. I believe you when you said that you will reign from sea to sea and that we're part of that and we're going to see it push into this city. We're going to see it go into all the brokenness and we're going to change systems and we're going to change institutions. Why? Because Jesus is king and we have to expect that we're going to be victorious in his name. I see it, and I feel like we're always on the cusp of it. And I want to invite you in. What was our old vision statement? Today, we're, we're releasing a new vision statement for the church. And, and we've had the same vision statement for, I think, 16 years. And you've heard me say it from this pulpit for every single Sunday. And you, what I used to say is this. We exist to be a diverse biblical community where the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives, renews the city, and impacts the world. That is true of us, and that is true of any faithful church on this planet. There is not a church that that vision statement, if a church finds themselves with a vision statement that is only true of them and not someone else, they're not a church. That's probably more of a cult, okay? A church always has the same vision. This is always gonna be true of us. However, we're changing the vision statement a little bit. Not that it's, this isn't true anymore, but God's done a new work in Park over the last number of years. If you've been here for a while, Park's changed in a very good way. God's done something new. We went from one location that was very centrally run to nearly 13 locations across the city of Chicago. There was a day here in this, when we used to meet here about seven years ago when I first started, we would show video sermons about two out of every four weeks. Who, who, raise your hand if you were here during those days. Two, three, four, five, six. About six or seven are still here from those days. Right, why? Because we're very centrally run. We've decentralized. We've launched a lot more locations. We're very different in terms of how we're organized and, and the different leadership that's in place these days. And so there's something new that has been being done and we want the vision statement to capture some of this new work that God's been up to. One of the language that we use often now to describe all the churches of Park Community Church and how we relate to each other is that we're a family of interdependent churches. I really like that language. We're a family of interdependent churches. What does that mean? It means that Park South Loop is a church. We have our own eldership team. We have our own work we're doing here in this area, reaching these surrounding neighborhoods to right here. When you come be a part of this church, you're part of what Park South Loop is doing. But we're not so independent of the rest of the work in the city that we don't need each other. 
We're dependent on the work that North Rogers Park is doing and that Hyde Park is doing. And we celebrate the work that the Forest Glen is doing and that Near North is doing because God's got unique assignments and unique work and unique voices and unique gift sets and unique people in all these different places. That's why I love sharing these videos with you of God doing unique work in different places of the city because look, at church this size, we can't do everything. There's a hundred different missions we could be a part of, and it's too many for one person to do, for one church to do. We highlight a handful of them, and we do them as well as we can, and we dig in in the name of Jesus. But you know what? Park's got a bunch of different churches that are doing different types of work, and you can celebrate that your church, that family you're a part of, is laboring in different ways across the city, and we benefit from each other. Our new language comes from Romans chapter 15, verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, says Paul, I no longer have any room for work. Can you imagine the day when Park South Loop could say, there's no more room for work here. We've saturated the South Loop with the gospel. Paul was able to say that. There was no more room for apostolic work for Paul to be doing in the area he was in. So he had to go to Rome. He had to go to new places to do new work. Oh, wouldn't you love that day? If you could genuinely come in this room and say, we literally have gotten the gospel out to We've saturated the South Loop. We've done it. We labor for that day. The new vision statement sounds like this. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to all people until there is no place left. That's what we're about. Thank you. Go ahead. You can clap for that. Is this fundamentally different than what the old vision was? No, it's not fundamentally different. We've always been about this work. It's just honing in on what are we about? What are we trying to get after? We're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to all people, all types of people, to, until there's no place left, until we've saturated the work. There's no place left. We're ambassadors for Christ, and we care about this. Why? Because we've been assigned that ministry. Now, along with this comes a new mission statement. A mission statement defines and declares how you go about that vision. If the vision is, we want to we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ until there's no place left, how do we do that? Well, there's four kind of fundamental ways we do this, and this will come up behind me. Number one, we make disciples. Now, how do you make disciples? You make disciples by proclaiming to the world who Jesus Christ is and helping people who are far from God meet him for the first time. In your life, God has you with a particular sphere of influence that is unique to you. I don't have that same network as you. You have that network. You have that family. You have those neighbors. You have those friends. You have that job. And God has you there in that place. And he's assigned you as an ambassador for Christ. And our great hope, I love when we get to baptize people that we will do here soon, here in this church. I love when we get to see people who are far from Christ meet Jesus because you were out there living as an ambassador for Christ and then we get to baptize them here in this room. There's nothing that brings me greater joy than seeing that take place. We wanna make disciples. We wanna equip the saints. How do you do that? Well, we, you get trained in the church. You get trained not only how to share your faith, but how to know the word of God, how to study this thing and, and know how to put it together. That's what small groups are for. Each week we gather in homes, we study the word of God. That's what the academy is for. Last year we launched the academy. Many of you were a part of the academy where we're going book by book through the entire Bible, making sure you know what every book has to do in the Bible and how it points to Jesus and how you use it in ministry. Next year we're launching the second phase of the academy, which is a partnership with Moody Bible Institute to bring in professors to teach all different types of classes. 
You wanna learn kind of, you wanna be an armchair theologian? You wanna learn the history of the Reformation? You wanna learn Greek? We're gonna offer all of those things through the church to equip you to better know your Bible, stand firm on the word of God. We send them out. We send them out. That means that we're, we're going out, we're stepping into broken places. Where are the places we go out and we step into broken places? Well, at this church, we've got a number of core things we do. Again, I'll have a whole sermon next week on this. We're passionate about fatherlessness in this church. And so we wanna be a father to the fatherless. I believe if you boil the issues Chicago has down to their, their three or four core issues, fatherlessness is probably number one. Probably number one. And we're passionate about it. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna stop the leak up where, at the crack in the pipe? This is the issue. So we step into it. How do we do that? We do that through adoption. We're passionate about adoption. We do that through being foster parents. We do that through being safe families. We do that through stepping into abortion boldly, firmly, wanting to see the law changed. We're unashamed of that work we do and we do it with vigor and we invite more and more folks into it. We're passionate about fatherlessness in this city. We're passionate about the education situation in this city. Education, I think, is the second biggest issue facing this city. And we have ministries that we partner with in the city like GRIP, By the Hand, Together Chicago, where we get into the schools. This last year has been more difficult with COVID, but we get into the schools. At one point in Chicago, I think they still do this, they were building jail cells in Cook County Prison based off the graduation rates of third graders in Chicago. Because if you don't graduate third grade, there's a good chance you're ending up in prison in Cook County. And so what were we doing? We were in the third grade classrooms. And we were encouraging you, be in the third grade classrooms with us. We have to help these kids. We're passionate about stepping into these difficult, hard places. We're passionate about caring for the homeless in our city. We, we have an entire ministry that once a month that goes out and serves the homeless. Be a part of it, the Bread of Life ministry. We send them out. And then we spread far and wide. Now, if you notice, there's a little bit of an acronym down the left-hand side of that, <laughs> of that screen. And you know what sometimes the work of the church is? It's a little bit of a mess. It's not clean or easy. You move forward. You stumble. You get up. You get after the hard work. Spreading far and wide means that we can't do this alone. We need each other. We need great partner ministries of the city of Chicago. It's not one church. It's a whole host of churches. It's the big C church and every ministry God's called here to the city of Chicago because the work is great, but the laborers are few and we are not stopping until we have gotten this job done. That's what we're after. Now let me close today this way. This was message one of four coming your way about the vision of this church and what it means to be a part of it. And I'm inviting you into this. The calling on the life of a Christian is to be an ambassador of Christ. Nothing short of that will do. And if you've been stuck in your Christianity for too long, perhaps it's because you have not understood the calling on your life to be an ambassador for Christ. He's calling you up to new places, to new, to new horizons, to walk with Jesus. I don't want you to sit on the bench anymore. I wanna call you in to what God's doing. There's tremendous work ahead of us. It's one thing to talk about it and to have fancy vision statements. It's another to be on the streets with us. It's another to be in the classrooms with us. It's another to be building those relationships. Park, I wanna invite you in. There's a lot of work to do. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we just adore you. Lord, the start of a new year, I pray, God, that what is of you from this message this morning as we've looked at 2 Corinthians chapter five, God, what is of you would stick, that this church would move, 
in unity together for the work that Christ has called us to. God, in every generation, in every season, you raise up churches. You raise up faithful leadership. You raise up faithful Christians to do the work of Christians, being ambassadors for Christ. God, I pray that in this generation, in this moment, here in the city of Chicago, you would raise up a church here in these walls that is passionate about living out the calling you have on our lives. That we wouldn't do it half-heartedly. We wouldn't trust someone else's getting the job done. But God, you would bring our minds and our bodies and our affections and our lives into unity with one another. That whatever garbage has been in the back of our minds keeping us from being all in. Lord, may I pray a bold prayer now, which is that in my spirit, I know that there is still so much division in this church as there is every church. But God, that is not okay. I don't want it. In the name of Jesus, would you get rid of it? There's a thousand things we can divide over in our culture today. A thousand. And God, I don't want us to be delayed in the work you've called us to because of division. And the issues we divide over are serious. They're important. We want to get after them. For the name of Jesus, we want to do it right. But God, wherever there is division, wherever there is bitterness, wherever there is scars, wherever there is anything that's hindering us from the, the, the proclamation of the gospel, living as ambassadors for Christ in the name of Jesus, I pray it is done now. Wherever Satan has been firing his fiery darts at us and we've had our guard down because we've allowed sin to just put footholds in our life and we have been lazy for Jesus because of sin. Would January 2022 be the end of that garbage and nonsense? Because Jesus is king and we're ambassadors. And I wanna fight the good fight and I wanna run the race well and I wanna do it with this church. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Send us. We worship you in Christ's name. Amen.